I was able to hang around a little bit and see some of the things they were doing, and uh, just deeply appreciative of them. And I think we should just give our volunteers a hand again. I think they did an outstanding job. Thank you so much, so much. You know, it's interesting. Today's an interesting day because uh, my wife Debbie and I, we have two children, and uh, both of them are doing what I'm doing today. Our, our youngest, our son Sean, is preaching in his church. He's a lay person. He works up in Calgary, and his pastor's taking the day off. And so Sean is preaching in his church up in Calgary. And my daughter Erin is on staff. She's one of the pastors at Tofield Alliance Church. And she's preaching in her church today. And you folks are stuck with me. So... Um, I'd like to pray with you for a second, and then we're going to just take a few minutes just to look into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's a, a crowd here, but if it's okay, I'm just going to pray for my kids today. Would you just anoint them with your Spirit as they open your Word up in their congregation where they serve and where they're part of? Anoint them. And Lord, as we look into your Word, we invite you to speak to us, because we believe it was written with us personally in mind. And that's one of the things we, one of the reasons we know you're God, because you can speak to all of humanity, and yet you can also, by your Spirit, speak to us personally and intimately. And so we would pray that you would do just that today. And so we would ask that you would help us to hear and help us to be touched by who you are and all that you've done. And so we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Steven Spielberg said this, this was the thing or something that I was put on earth to do. This was the thing I was put on earth to do. And in that statement, he was not referring to telling the story of E.T. or the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark or even the, the incredibly moving story of Saving Private Ryan. Now, when he talked about saying, this was why I was put on planet Earth, he said it was to highlight the story of the Holocaust. And he's done this in a variety of ways, including the launching of a program that filmed 53,000 people telling their first-person stories of the Holocaust. So telling their story, what they went through during the Holocaust, what they saw, what they experienced. So why did he do that? Because that's a lot of work, and it cost a lot of effort and a lot of money. Well, there was a number of reasons, but the most important reason is, he said, we don't ever, ever want to forget what took place. Years ago, they had a similar philosophy and a similar practice. They just used a very different method, and Justine talked about it a little bit, and it's recorded in the Bible. And we're going to look at that story. And so they invited me to speak to you for a few minutes this morning on a story in keeping with their theme from this week. Long ago, the people of Israel, uh, before they entered the land of Canaan, now called Israel, the peoples that lived in that part of the Middle East before the Israelites came would erect stones. 
and they would put these stones up to commemorate and honor their small g gods. They would do this to declare covenants between people groups, to uh, set up agreements and treaties between nation states. And they would set these stones up to honor important events. And archaeological digs have found stones at times that are 20 feet high or 6 meters high. Well, the Israelites did these things as well, and we call them from the Bible standing stones. And it literally means to set up. And the Israelites would put up these standing stones as reminder of capital G God of the Bible, of the covenants, of the agreements that he made with his people, of the things that he offered to everyone in the world. And also they did it to commemorate the supernatural things that they saw the God of the Bible do so that they would never forget these things. And then they would tell the stories of what God had done over and over and over and over again from generation to generation, creating what we call the oral tradition. And they would pass down the truths of historical fact of what had taken place from generation to generation. And every time they would see these stones, they would be reminded of the agreements God gave to them and the supernatural things that he had done. And so I want to take just a couple of minutes to tell you the story of one of these things. And this standing stone story tells us that when life is good, God is good. Let's say it again, kids. When life is good, God is good. Oh, man, you're very good. I'm impressed. When life is good, yeah. And the idea is that God has been good, as we've heard today, is this theme that they've talked about all through the week. And they were exposed to it from just a variety of angles. Just remember what Justine said. She said, on Tuesday, when life is unfair, God is good. On Wednesday, they said, when life is scary, God is still good. On Thursday, when life is sad, God is good. And on Friday, when life changes, God is good. And so you can tell from those themes that not for a minute are we trying to say that when you have a relationship with God, you won't have any problems. It's not like that. Life can be pretty bumpy when you're a follower of God and have a personal relationship with Jesus. But the thing that remains constant, even though it's a little bit mysterious at times, is that God is good through all of those things. And so today, we're going to talk about when life is good, God is good. And the story that illustrates this is found in the book of Joshua, which is the sixth book in the Bible. And so if you have your Bible, just turn with me. We're going to read a few verses, and I'm just going to uh, expand a little bit on the story. Joshua, uh, the first five books are called the Pentateuch, and they tell story of, of history. And then in chapter six, we see a ch in, in book six, we see a change in leadership to Joshua. And so we're going to be reading just a few verses there. So let me just set it up. The nation of Israel has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And at this moment in history, they're on the precipice, they're right on the edge of going into the promised land. 
And for hundreds of years, God has been saying to them, the day is coming when you will go into a land that I've set aside for you. And they are right on the edge of going there. But facing them before they can go into the promised land is an impassable barrier, the River Jordan. And there's no way they can cross this river. There's no bridges. There's no shallow points. In fact, the story we're going to read says that at, the, at this time in history, at this moment in the year, the, the River Jordan was at flood stage. And so there was this barrier that they had to cross in order to move into what God had placed before them to do. And we know historically that at the very least, there was many hundreds of thousands of Israelites, perhaps as many as two million of them as a nation at this point. And they come up to this impassable barrier. And in the opening verses of chapter 3, God says to them, listen, here's what I want you to do. And he gives them some really exact instructions. And he says, and then here's what I'm going to do. And then he does it. Let's read in verses 15 to 17. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, the priests were carrying this special thing called the Ark of the Covenant about a thousand meters out in front of the main body of people. As soon as they reached the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the waters flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. I've had the privilege of being in all those areas and in that region two times in my life. It's a pretty cool place. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And God performs this supernatural miracle so they can go across the river on dry ground. And I'm thinking here, and I'm just kind of guessing, but I'm guessing that as they're crossing through the middle of the river, some of them couldn't help but be nervous. But I'm also thinking that many of them would have been looking at each other and saying things like this. I can't believe how powerful our God is. I can't believe how good our God is. Look at all the things he's been doing for us leading up to this. And look at how he's taking care of us now. I thought we were totally hooped when we came up to the river and there was no way across. But God came through for us again. God is good. And here's the thing, this, this sort of one-off, I know he did it once in the past, but this sort of one-off event of God was really a foreshadowing. It was a hint of more things to come, a sign of what he was going to do. And there was many times, if you read the story, these historical books, if you read the story, there's many times where God would stand in the gap for them. And as they're going through the river on dry ground, they knew God was good and was going to be good. And that was pretty exciting because when life is good, God is good. 
And so they wanted to be truly grateful and never forget forget this event. And so let's read here in verses 1 through 3 what it says of chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. So they're divided into 12 tribal groups, this nation. And he says, pick one person to represent each of the tribes. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so they did just that. Let's jump ahead to verse 20, and it says this, 20 through 24. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear, stand in awe. That's what that kind of means. Stand in awe of the Lord your God. And so God says to them, I want you to create these standing stones, these visual reminders so that you will never forget how important this event was. What I did and how I helped you, how I was there for you, that you'll be eternally grateful for this and always remember it. And then, like I said earlier, they would tell the story at night around the fire over and over and over again and let it pass down from generation to generation. And every time they would see the stones, they would be reminded. Has God ever done something wonderful for you? Has God ever done something wonderful for you? Now, many of the people that are here this morning would say, well, the first thing that comes to mind is the time in my life where I chose Jesus, where I I came to this realization that I had done things to offend a holy God. And I had give him the straight arm, in a sense, and pushed him away. The Bible calls this sin. And so it actually says that every human being that's ever existed has done this deliberately at some point in their life, and then in an ongoing way after. And that as a result of that, we're all hopelessly, irreparably separated from God. There's nothing we can do about this. And this is at the heart of why Jesus came. Because he said, there's nothing you can do about this, but I will do it for you. And this is why he went to the cross. This is why he died on the cross. This is why he rose from the dead. Because the Bible says that every one of our sins, every one of my sins, was laid on him. And so by acknowledging this truth, 
that I'm hopelessly lost, I've done these kinds of things, that Jesus is the only answer for this, and asking him to apply what he did on my behalf. Incredible forgiveness comes into a person's life. Not, we're not perfect, none of us are, but we can know the wonderful relationship with God that has forgiveness at its heart. And then to just surrender my life in gratitude for what he's done and have a relationship with him that launches. Many of us would point to that as one of the truly, if not the most truly wonderful things in our life. And that's one of the strong truths we taught the children this week. That this kind of relationship is available with God. Now, there'd be lots of other wonderful things we could talk about, and I have a feeling if we would be fully aware of all of the wonderful things and good things God did for us and has done for us, we would be overwhelmed. We might sit there and go, well, I can't remember too many things. I think we've forgotten more things than we could ever begin to count. In fact, it says in the book of Psalms, Many, O Lord, our God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak of them, they would be too many to declare. So I just ask you this. What are the good things God has done for you? Do we have a way in our life of acknowledging these things, of celebrating these things, of being reminded of these things? I've asked the ushers to come forward, and they're going to hand out to you. So go ahead and start doing it, guys. Uh, Everyone in the room is going to get a rock. So we're going to take a moment so that everybody gets a rock that you can take home. Don't throw it in any cars or anything like that. Take a rock home with you. We're going to take a moment to do that. So why did I give you this rock? Because the rock in a sense, is an illustration. It's a very tangible reminder to start building our own memorial. And what I want to do right now is as I wrap up, I'm going to take, we're going to take 90 or more seconds in silence. And what I'm just going to invite you to do is reflect on your life. Because remember our theme today is when Life is good. God is good. And in those 90 plus seconds, I'm going to be inviting you to be reminded of the things where God has been good in your life, to be grateful for those things, to say thank you for those things. Because we don't ever want to stop celebrating those things. We don't ever want to stop being thankful for them. And we certainly don't ever want to forget them. Because when life is good, God is good.